Dear listeners, Sai Ram and greetings from Prashanti Nilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 10th April 2014. Have a listen please. Offering our humble pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, we welcome you to this week's episode of Afternoon Satsang. We are going to be talking about the Ramakatha Rasavahini. So we are going to continue with that series. So welcoming you to this week's episode of Ramakatha Rasavahini. Sri Rama Rama Rame Di Rame Rame मनोरमे सहस्रनाम तत्तुल्यम रामनाम वरानने रामनाम वरानने Really what a beautiful and poignant message to start our Ramakatha Rasa Vahini to enjoy the sweet eternal nectarine juice of the story of Lord Sri Rama. As that shloka said, the name of Rama is equivalent to thousand names of the Lord. Chanting the name once in itself is so redeeming. And Prem, how many discourses have we heard Swami exhorting Rama's name as well as the story of Ramayana. And today, you know, I feel it is so, so, so special that we are getting to talk about and relive the story of Ramayana as per the Ramakatha Rasavahini. Because as we discussed, each Ramayana has its own speciality and Ramakatha Rasavahini is special because it's an autobiographical account. You know, I was uh, listening to a discourse that Swami delivered, I think on the 20th of May, 1996 during the summer course. Okay. And that's... I think that entire summer Samakos was on Ramayana. Yes. So, in the second discourse of that uh, Samakos, Swami starts by talking about the different Ramayanas that are there. Mm-hmm. And he says that if you see the Valmiki Ramayana, Valmiki started off writing about Lord Rama as his contemporary. You know, as a person would look at an ideal person. So, Valmiki felt that Rama was a perfect man. And therefore, he began to write about him as the Purushottama, the ideal among men. And as he wrote the entire Ramayana, Swami says, towards the end, he realized, Oh my God, can a man be so perfect? No, Rama must definitely be God. So, Swami says that was what happened with Valmiki. And then Swami says that if you see Tulsidas, Tulsidas right in the beginning of the Ramayana says that, you know, Lord Rama is Narayana himself. So, Tulsidas was a devotee writing about the Lord. And as he writes the entire story, Swami says towards the end, Tulsidas says, Oh my God, in spite of being the Supreme Lord, how perfectly Rama has led his life 
his is a life that any human being should emulate he is indeed a perfect man so valmiki started off with him being a perfect man and said that he is god and tulsidas started with that he is god and said that he is also the perfect man and then swami says later on came kamban you know the tamil poet and swami says in the kamba ramayana kamban says that what is the difference between perfect man and god because nara is narayana and narayana is nara so that advaitic philosophy comes in there and swami says that is the speciality of the kamba ramayana because in reality in truth a perfect man is equal to god once man achieves perfection he achieves godhood and that is what swami always inspires us to do he addresses us prema swarupulara he calls us divyatva swarupulara because he says that ultimately you are all divine you just work for perfection being a perfect human or god is one and the same so swami introduces these three ramayanas that way uh, while listening to that i just felt that swami you have not said about your ramakatha rasavahini because <laughs> this is the best because when we read ramakatha rasavahini it is obvious there are no defects in rama and the light in which rama is portrayed is the ultimate light and we are convinced that it has to be an autobiographical account and nothing else couple of things from what you said we spoke of this even when we spoke about valmiki and how he came to write you know the very answer to his query as to can a man be perfect mm. because coming from his past you know he has been a transformed decoit correct and the ramayana starts with his witnessing a scene of cruelty by a man where a hunter goes and kills a bird which is lost in uh, the ecstasy of love and that's when he asks can a man lead a life of perfection can a man lead a life which is uh, devoid of these flaws that humanness is always filled with because a uh, common saying is that every saint has a past and also we have come to the conclusion which swami very strongly opposes that to err is human so mm. swami says that is wrong to be divine is human swami says but when he asks this question that can a man be perfect can there be one person who can be ideal for all mankind and that's when narada comes and tells him yes there is a man like that in fact he is right now living as the king of ayodhya and that's how the entire ramakatha is written so very understandable that valmiki starts writing of rama as the one who is the perfect human being on earth mm. and that's very interesting and even as we are talking about ramayana as we are talking about swami's autobiographical work the ramakatha swami is i should tell our listeners that we have a beautiful photo gallery on the website right now which is a collection of many objects which swami materialized from the era of lord rama mm-hmm. the ring which rama wore the ring which rama gave to hanuman to be given to sita to recognize that hanuman was the messenger of rama the chudamani which sita gave back to hanuman the crest jewel the crest jewel and one of the jewels which were there in the crown of rama and you know many beautiful objects i think in the kali yuga the kodaikanal was one place where many of these objects surfaced <laughs> at the drop of a hat you know one speaker would speak something about the ramayana one speaker speaks something about the krishna avatar and there would be an object from that era you know to be shown and the archaeological trip that would have been very true and <laughs> even as i'm talking about it and reminded of one uh, very interesting episode which our lecturer ravikumar sir narrated once in the bus mm-hmm. in one of the field trips in kodaikanal swami materialized a ring which lord rama wore okay and swami wore it on his thumb and tossed it around you know to Turned show oh. how large that was and then swami said he actually wore this on his little finger and uh, after materializing it swami gave it to ravikumar sir and said you keep it safely after getting off the bus i'll take it from you hmm. so sir apparently wrapped it in a handkerchief and safely put it in his pocket and every 2 minutes he would touch the bulge in his pocket to make sure that the ring is safe okay okay <laughs> okay and just when they were about to get off the bus hmm. when he put his hand on his pocket he found that the ring was missing 
missing and can you imagine what should <laughs> no, be this is so typical of swami incidents right uh. when he says be careful <laughs> you know <laughs> you that know something is coming you know that he is already ensured that you are careless <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine you know if swami gives you something and you lose it what a plight you will be in and here is lord rama's ring given to you and you lose it you know you mm. can imagine and you were so petrified but then i think after he got off the bus swami told him don't worry it's come back to me <laughs> oh okay okay So innumerable are the occasions where Swami revealed things about the avatar of Rama and that is why Ramakatha Swami has to say this is such a special one because many of the misconceptions which were carried on from the Valmiki Ramayana were clarified in the Ramakatha Swami a few of those episodes hopefully we'll narrate today where Swami emphatically says that this was written wrongly this was spread wrongly this was the actual truth and today we will be culminating this satsang session with the birth of Lord Sri Rama narrating the story of lord rama definitely lord hanuman also is with us giving us company yes so we welcome bhagwan hanuman in our midst and as always offer this humbly at swami's lotus feet and now we begin the ramakatha last time we had discussed about how dasharatha the king of ayodhya had given a befitting reply to ravana when he had asked him to surrender quickly repeat that story so that for the sake of continuation yes for sake of continuity ravana sends a messenger to uh, dasharatha telling him to accept his overlordship dasharatha mocks the messenger for such a audacious uh, <laughs> audacious uh, command command and so he shoots three arrows which locks ravana inside his own palace not allowing him to get out till he repents after which the arrows return back to dasharatha i mean it's if you think geographically ayodhya is about 3000 kilometers away from lanka sri lanka and it's magnificent i mean uh, many missiles of the current day are able to travel that distance but you know that is what they say that astras are actually missiles there is so much of scientific advancement in those days so he locks him up and therefore ravana is infuriated and he wonders if dasharatha himself is like this and there is animosity between them because of his stupid action so ravana feels that dasharatha should not have any children he does penance and seeks that boon from the creator brahma that dasharatha should not have any progeny from his loins afterwards we also narrated how he kidnaps the probable wife for dasharatha from the kingdom of kosala and puts that girl into a casket and throws of into the river right there are a couple of versions in that one thing is he predicts that dashrata will marry the princess of kosala okay. the other thing is one of the arts which ravana has mastered the art of astrology he is supposed okay. to have mastered 64 arts in that one is astrology hmm. so he is able to predict that dashrata's wife will come from this part of the land mm-hmm. and so kosala will be the in laws of dashrata that's how he zeroes down on kaushalya and kidnaps her yes but you know it shows however intelligent and wise you may be and however you may plan the lord master plan can never get affected you just reminded of that statement which comes in the movie kung fu panda isn't yes. it yes <laughs> sometimes you meet your destiny on the path you take, you take to, to avoid, avoid it, it. <laughs> that's precisely Perfect. what happened to ravana that's what happens and that's how dashrata ends up marrying kaushalya and a very important character in the whole thing is the minister sumantra mm. it's a beautiful concept which keeps coming in all the scriptures a very very sound and intelligent minister mature minister mature yes. minister who is very very balanced not only in the the art of politics but also in his adherence to dharma and his adherence to the scriptures and their dictum even if you see the mahabharata vidura is supposed to be a very very central character in the whole play Correct. in fact he is the only person who is supposed to have stood for draupadi in that court not even bhishma not even the other uh, elders it is only vidura who is supposed to have said that i will not tolerate this and he walks out how we lack such 
ministers today really <laughs> <laughs> even as you're going in for the election and uh, you know that ram janmabhoomi issue is again raking up mm. and with all the controversies I'd, i'm reminded of uh, one incident which one of my classmates narrated mm. it seems one of the boys in the class then was the grandson of a person who was associated with the uh, vishwendu parishad okay the andhra chapter so whenever he would get the chance he would come to swami and say swami which is ram janmabhoomi he wanted to ensure that ayodhya which we know today is the ram janmabhoomi he wanted the stamp of <laughs> right authority from swami himself you know? so every now and then he would ask swami swami which is ram janmabhoomi which is ram janmabhoomi but you know saying that would uh, stir a hornet's nest right? right so one day swami told him that i'll tell you tomorrow oh, which okay. is ram janmabhoomi huh. so he was with all eagerness waiting and he went up to swami the birthplace of rama said, the birthplace of rama is kaushalya's womb <laughs> oh, oh okay and <laughs> yeah, that's how swami put him off but a couple of days later you know the sequence of events which happened in lot of those people who are under uh, judicial remand after that mm. so one day swami came out and this grandson of his was sitting in the portico along with the other students swami came to him and swami told him hey your grandfather has gone to krishna janmabhoomi now <laughs> which is jail <laughs> which is the jail <laughs> because they were all arrested after that oh, you know okay. after the typically demo- demolition of the right that has been the essence of swami's message mm. don't go behind the nitty gritty details the physical details of the ramayana story that's why swami often would say atma ramayanam is important it is important to see rama as your own self and see what he has gone through and go through that in your spiritual journey and that is exactly how he begins it and the entire summer course on ramayana right. you know swami begins by saying ramayana is not just some inspiring story of a character called rama swami says ramayana is each one story it is your story it is my story it's everyone's story and you know we had gone into the adhyatma ramayana the atma ramayana so the essence is most important the essence is most important and swami says that the essence of ramayana is prema and karuna if you do not get the prema tatva and the karuna tatva from the ramayana your reading your listening nothing is of any use so we offer our prayers to swami and seek that even as we lose ourselves in this beautiful story of rama let our heart be saturated with love for god and with compassion for all the children and creatures of god and going back to the story where you left it you were at the point where sumantra actually discovers that casket in which kaushalya is floating yes and And he's the one who carries the message to Dasharatha and later on even to the king of Kosala and he's the one who facilitates this wedding and Dasharatha is married to Kausalya and they have a daughter from their union. Interestingly in Ramkatha Raswani Swami says that even uh, the king of Kosala is so pleased with Sumantra that he invites him to also wed during the same wedding where Dasharatha and Kausalya yes. get married. So he is also given a suitable bride and, and Swami describes so beautifully when they come back the mm. scene where you know the king and the minister because Dasharatha and Sumantra are not only seen as king and minister but are seen as best friends mm. so the whole city rejoices the two of them coming back with their newly wed wives it's so beautiful you know when you talk of the relationship between sumantra and dasharatha i almost feel that you know that is how the the judiciary and the executive of a country should be in complete harmony with doing everything after both are only happy you know nowadays we face so much of this rift between the two the executive body of the country is not happy with the judicial body with what it does the judicial body is not happy with the executive body and it's a constant conflict i mean it is so inspiring that this is how it should be because after all you know dasharatha stands as the executive body and the minister is the judicial body and so beautiful really so many lessons to take from that really, and when you're not able to garner enough wisdom to still handle the problem you go to vasishta and that is also a typical thing the religious the spiritual masters of the land would not come and offer advice 
unsolicited <laughs> but when asked they actually give them the best advice mm-hmm. and the king also portrayed that idealism where he took the word of the master as the last word yes because above all it was a spiritual kingdom ramarajya it is more of a spiritual concept than a material concept it's not as if ramarajya means everybody has a income of 40000 rupees a month or a few thousand dollars a month it's not like that ramarajya is a concept where everyone is at peace and is contented and so it's a spiritual concept and it makes sense that the ultimate head would be a spiritual personage and you know vashishta did not live in a palace he lived in a hermitage you see a spiritual person a spiritual person has the wealth of spirituality which he is convinced beyond doubt is the greatest wealth and therefore he does not attempt to seek the material wealth at all because he feels material wealth is not wealth at all it is such a conviction and i feel that is one way to recognize a spiritual personage a spiritual personage seeks nothing because he has got the ultimate which he has to deliver and confer to the rest of humanity that's when whenever swami speaks about having faith in the scriptures swami would often say that you know you are ready to believe a scientific discovery a scientific a research which has come out a report in the media you know any of these things which are always wetted with selfishness but here are a body of men who have sacrificed everything who have said that we don't want any of these things and they go and call out the truth and say this is the truth they have absolutely nothing to gain from to gain from you accepting or not accepting it and swami says you doubt that truth but you're ready to go with all the other work which is always wetted with selfishness beautiful thoughts prem coming back to the story dasharatha and kausalya they give birth to a daughter her name is is either called shanta or shanti most commonly swami says shanta i think shanta yes and shanti also in a few discourses you discusses so the daughter shanta now it's very interesting what happens here the neighboring kingdom of anga i think anga comes in present day where the state of bihar in india lies okay so the king of anga is romapada i think his name and he is reaching his middle age and he has had no progeny and dasharatha is a young king now and in his compassion he is unable to see another king who is going without any children so he allows king romapada to adopt his daughter shanta and therefore shanta becomes the daughter of romapada the king of anga and she grows up there and later she is given in marriage to rishishranga who very soon will be playing a very important part in the ramayana sage rishishranga right and that is a very interesting story and you know there's a a small statistic which was given where uh, one of the writers says there's a concept called upakatha like in the entire story main so story suppose main story there are upakathas if you look at the mahabharata it is filled with upakathas that 75% of the volume of the mahabharata is only these what we do often in our satsang <laughs> you know go off into a side tangent tangent ah. mahabharata is filled with that but if you look at the ramayana there are only 120 upakathas which is comparatively very very small and one of the upakathas which come in, in the ramayana is that of rishishringa mm. how he happens to wed shanta who is originally the daughter of dashratha but who is brought up as the daughter of romapada so actually rishishringa is son in law to romapada but he also in a way is son in law to king dashratha right anyway coming back to kausalya and dashratha story the king and queen are happy they live in wonderful harmony the subjects are happy and it is a beautiful rule but then you know soon they notice that in spite of many years passing kausalya is unable to conceive a son because you definitely need a son to continue the lineage right and dasharatha you know starts to get worried because now he is growing 
little elder and it is high time that he should have a son but he is not having a son and that is when Swami says that Kausalya comes to Dasharatha and she tells her husband that you know the scriptures say that you are allowed to marry once again for the sake of having a ruler continuity for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. See you are not doing it for your selfish purpose. You are not doing it for your sense gratification. You are not going to marry again because you cast your eyes on another woman. But for the sake of the kingdom if you call it a sacrifice, a sacrifice if you call it a wise step, a wise step this is what you have to do and therefore it is at her request that King Dasharatha agrees and after all the elders confirm with that the wedding between Dasharatha and the princess of the Magadhan kingdom takes place and her name is Sumitra and that is how Dasharatha gets wedded for a second time and he returns back to his capital Ayodhya with two queens now that is Kausalya and Sumitra and the beauty of Swami narrating Ramayana is one of these things Hmm. that Swami gives emphasis for some characters which have been traditionally overlooked in all versions of Ramayana Hmm. and in fact one of those characters is Sumitra because even I I remember when I was a student Swami has given entire discourses on Sumitra on uh, Uh, Urmila Urmila, who is Ur- the wife, wife of, of Lakshmana. Lakshmana, who will come to later, mm-hmm. on Mandodari, Shutakirti. Shutakirti. I mean, these are all very, very less spoken about characters in the Ramayana. In fact, you know, Prem, till I became Swami's student and, you know, heard in the discourse, I had not even heard the names of Mandavi and Shutakirti. Right. Urmila also I had heard, but not as Lakshmana's wife. I just knew that Urmila is a name given to a lady in India. That's it. I mean, I had not heard of her as Lakshmana's wife. But that shows how much anybody will know if you ask an average uh, person about Ramayana, I don't think they will mention these names, but Swami has spoken at length on these four women actually, the three wives plus Sumitra. That is another beautiful aspect where it's almost like the person whose autobiographical account it is, he feels that, oh, the other authors have not done enough justice to these characters and I shall do that and Swami has done that. Right, and Swami often says Sumitra means Sumitra, one who is capable of being a good friend and that was her real nature. She would be selfless, as selfless as a good friend. And she would have the relationship with everybody she meets. And that nature gets magnified and seen after the arrival of the third queen. Because those are the times when Swami goes into the thoughts of Sumitra and expresses what she used to think and how noble it was. Now, why does a third queen come into picture is because in spite of several years of marriage with Sumitra, also Dasharatha is unable to have a male progeny. So, two queens and no male progeny and what Kausalya did at that time to Dasharatha, the same is done by the two queens together now. You know, both of them go and approach the king saying that, you know, you should possibly try a third queen because as far as the sun is concerned, both of us have been dry. So, why don't you marry for a third time? Now, you know, as I spoke that time, as I said that the king Dasharatha married to Sumitra surely because it was his responsibility to get a progeny. But here, you know, Swami says that King Dasharatha had got enamored with the daughter of the king of KK Raja. More like towards Kashmir. Kashmir, yes. Karande Kashmir. Karande Kashmir and if we read the description of the king of Kashmir's daughter, the princess, that is Kaikei, you see it perfectly matches with the Kashmiri people of today. You know, tall, lean, very fair in complexion. It beautifully matches. So, that is the kingdom, Kekeya. And Dasharatha had got enamored with the beauty. There were no photographs those days, but he had seen the paintings of the princess of Kekeya. And this is important because, you know, later on we will see, and I feel that as and when the thought comes, we should discuss it. Mm-hmm. When we read the Ramayana, we see that Dasharatha did not have any problems with Kausalya as such or any problem with Sumitra. Not that he had any problem with Kaikei also and Swami has redeemed Kaikei. We will come to that later. But the whole cause of, you know, Rama having to go to the forest and everything came because of Kaikei. It shows that, you know, the minute you entertain a desire, 
it can go haywire and cause problems as long as you do everything as your duty without any attachment nothing ever goes wrong i feel that is a very powerful message that comes through because apparently dashratha had problems that arose only because of a wife whom he desired for whom he desperately wanted and got married in fact the king of kk puts a condition you know right. he says that dashratha if you want to marry my daughter please ensure that it is her son that will become heir to the kingdom this was unheard of in those days because it's always the son of the eldest queen senior queen who becomes the ruler right and only condition where it becomes otherwise is if that eldest son is disabled like we see in mahabharat where dhrashtra is the eldest in yes. the one but he is born blind yeah in case the senior queen doesn't have a son oh. or has a physically disabled child then only that rule is modified to accommodate the son of a younger queen but here even before the children are born the demand is made see this shows the righteousness of the rulers of those days dasharatha though he entertains the desire for kaikeyi in his heart of heart he knows that he is marrying kaikeyi not only for the duty sake but also of his because of his desire he actually feels guilty and he comes back without the wedding and he is forlorn and that is where you know swami highlights the character of sumitra because it is sumitra who speaks to dasharatha and convinces him to get married to kaikeyi right and it's quite understandable because here is dasharatha who is having a three queens after the marriage so the father wants to ensure that his grandson has the right over the kingdom of ayodhya and i think the thinking behind kaushalya and sumitra is that that anyway we are not having any children so there will not be any confusion in the future and the other thing is you know that is one of the things which swami uh, mentioned once whenever a story is told if you see bhagavatam there is always emphasis on the lineage at least three or four generations is spoken of you know mm-hmm. the so and so was the father so and so was the grandfather it is to show that a child which is born in this lineage will be righteous by nature it would be difficult to find a child who is unrighteous in fact that is one of the things kaushalya and sumitra think of mm. that being born to a king like being born to dasharatha right and also kaikeyi being the daughter of a very righteous king kekeya mm. the son who is born to kaikeyi will not accept this when he grows up mm. that is one of the things which occurs to them that if there is a dispute the prince himself will wane away from taking up the because he'll the be kingdom. a dharmic uh, he'll be a very dharmic son and as swami writes in the ramkatha rasavahini even if it comes to him having to rule the kingdom he is so dharmic so what is the problem right. the only thing is we need a king who is dharmic so if not our sons first of all yeah as you said we are not having sons second even if kaikeyi's son has to be made emperor he will be so dharmic that he will naturally refuse it in case there is any conflict right. and even if he has to become the king he will be dharmic so what is the problem and therefore this is how they convince dasharatha and the wedding of dasharatha and kaikeyi takes place with great pomp and then now dasharatha returns to ayodhya the capital city with three queens kausalya sumitra and kaikeyi but that does not end his woes because years pass and he is not able to get a son from either of the queens in the meanwhile you know kaikeyi does really some heroic acts which endears her to dasharatha even more in fact it is said that there was a war between the devas and the asuras danavas that is the demons and the the positive demigods right. somehow i feel the word demi makes it demonic <laughs> so the positive demigods and the demons there is a war in dandakaranya the forest that comes in the central part of bharat mm-hmm. and in that battle in that war dasharatha sides with the good and he is fighting against the demons among the demons is one very very powerful demon called shambhara mm-hmm. and under the onslaught of shambhara dasharatha falls unconscious in his chariot and if he is not rescued in time he is sure to face death at that time it is said the chariot wheel of dasharatha's chariot the one of the wheels has broken it has come off the pivot 
at that time kai kai inserts her finger which acts as the pivot around which the wheel rotates okay. and rescues dasharatha away from the scene of the battle mm-hmm. and the unconscious dasharatha is brought back and he is revived after which he joins the, the war and defeats that's a different story mm-hmm. but here he is so happy with how spontaneous and instantaneous and brave the actions of kai kai were he tells her that i promise you two boons ask for anything that you want i shall grant it to you and kai kai says at that time my lord as of now whatever i want i have i shall keep these two boons in waiting and whenever if i feel i need anything i will ask you these two boons as of now i need nothing and so this incident happens during the time but as time passes as we said there is no progeny from either of the three queens i mean just a short uh, detour here mm-hmm. it's very interesting because many many stories we come across where somebody offers two boons to somebody and always it has been two boons Mm-hmm. you know there will always be only two boons there will not be 3 4 5 at least in the indian uh, epics the person offering boons will always offer only two boons you mm-hmm. know there is a nice episode which happens later in the mahabharat not really nice in that sense but showing why this two boons concept is so important where after uh, the pandavas were defeated in that game of dice and then the humiliation everything was over of draupadi of draupadi draupadi mm-hmm. starts taking vows saying that you know i will make sure that you are killed and i will not tie my hair till uh, Dushasana's so chest right. is given to me. And that's when Dhridrashtra gets scared. He realizes that this is a Pativrata who is making these curses and it is definitely bound to come true. So to appease her, he gives back everything. And he says, uh, ask for whatever you want, I'll give you. Then she says, please let them be released from slavehood. So Dhridrashtra says, okay, so be it. But I'm not still satisfied. Ask some more. So she says, let whatever kingdom has been taken away from my husband be given back to them. Hmm. So even after the second boon is granted, it seems the king says, I'm still not satisfied. Ask for more and that is when draupadi says that according to dharma shastra when somebody offers you boons you should not ask for more than two asking for a third one is adharma mm-hmm. so she says i won't ask for more and the thing is even dhridrashtra knew this he was seeing whether even in that situation draupadi would do a mistake which he refused to wow i mean it's a, such a beautiful and very very profound message that when someone is ready to give you something there is a limit to how much you can ask mm. even if that person can give more you know this is purely my thoughts it's not there as far as i know in anything i'm just thinking what could be the possible rationale behind two boons you know why two i remember the y2k problem right. even if you remember in our brindavan college we sing even puttaparthi asutoma sadgamaya we chant it twice so i always wonder why do we sing it twice mm-hmm. once is enough if you are singing more usually we pick three right why two Mm-hmm. so i still don't have an answer to that but here why two boons this is my line of thinking i'm thinking that you know a boon like this that mm-hmm. ask whatever you want is given to a person who has either made you very very happy or you know who is in a very very desperate situation that your heart bleeds seeing him or her that you feel like i'll give the world if needed for these people so either he's in a super low or he's in a super high the person who is seeking the boon so i feel that in both the situations whether you're super high or super low what you seek will not be right that's why you know it says that don't take a decision when you're angry don't make a promise when you're happy so the person who is seeking when he's in a high or low the first thing that comes to his mind may not actually be a proper or nice thing 
mm-hmm. you know that is what i am thinking and so therefore he is told to ask for a second time this is the time when he comes back to his senses and says oh my god okay see even here i am thinking if draupadi was given she could have just said that my husband should be made kings automatically it means that they are no longer slaves but she says you know take them away from slavehood let them not be slaves anymore but what do they do they have no kingdom nothing so i feel that is the time she wakes up <laughs> anybody you know this is what i feel they wake up to their senses and make a second wish the second one is a sane one but i feel the minute a third one is given here need is over greed steps in at this time so therefore don't stop at one but don't go to three two wounds is ideal this is my line of thinking i don't know if it is and there's another uh, short story which i came across sometime back mm-hmm. which is about this asking wounds you know there is a very very spiritual man mm-hmm. who has spent years in a spiritual sadhana seeking for the ultimate knowledge one day he is walking past a forest in where he goes and saves a person who is in distress and that person turns into a yaksha a ethereal being mm-hmm. who was apparently testing him and he says i will give you two boons ask for whatever you want so this man says my first boon is give me enough money to lead my life so the yaksha is surprised here is a spiritual sadhaka whose only desire is to attain the self knowledge but he is asking for wealth then he says ask for a second boon and that man says give me perfect health mm. okay and this person is really surprised and he asks him that you are a sadhaka why do you ask for worldly things and then the man says what comes easily will go easily mm. i can afford to lose my wealth and health but i cannot afford to lose my spiritual benefits so that i learn myself so beautiful and i think this is again something which comes in all these stories where there are two boons three boons four boons amni or boons the boons are the ones which actually lead to their they become bane right they become banes lead to confusion and to their destruction in the case of ravana too the boons which he asked were the ones which eventually led to the lord rama coming in whatever form and you know uh, vanquishing him speaking of that you know in the 1996 summer course series swami states that on one hand dasharatha and his queens are getting very worried as to why we are not having children why we are not having children swami says in the meanwhile what has happened is the different the good people in the world they have all made a representation and have gone to lord vishnu lord mm-hmm. narayana they tell him that you know lord we are unable to bear the scourge that this demon ravana has established on earth we are not able to do our yagnas we are not able to pursue our spiritual activities we are not able to do any of our day to day activities we are not allowed to worship the lord he seems to have the false ego that he is the lord he wants everyone to worship him it's such a problem please do save us save us from ravana and you know i feel it was for this reason that the wombs of the three queens had been kept dry because the wombs were slated for far greater purposes and swami says that lord narayana promises them saying that see ravana has a boon from brahma that neither a gandharva a kimpurusha a rakshasa a god none of the ethereal divine beings or a murga animal can kill him mm-hmm. but you know in that joy this was the first boon i think what ravana asked <laughs> because in that joy of getting the boon he forgets he thinks that after all humans right you know humans are considered like you don't have claws you don't have <laughs> any fangs like uh, wild animals nor do you have any superpowers what can a human being after all do humans if you see that way biologically are some of the weakest creatures on the face of the earth so ravana also feels the same and he doesn't include humans in that list <laughs> you know because his first request would have been make me immortal and when brahma says you can't become immortal ravana thinks that if i am protected from these beings it's as good as being immortal and he doesn't include humans in that list because he feels how can a human after all kill me and lord narayana promises all the good people that, that 
that was the error he made in ego see once ego comes in error inevitably happens because vinashakale viprita buddhi so that error has been made and that is the error i will utilize i will come as a human being and i will destroy that ravana and he gives them the assurance and promise and uh, swami narrates this story also that this is what has happened in the meanwhile and the lord has decided to descend on earth and take birth another important event which happens you know when all this is happening dashartha is not having children there three wives all of them are barren one day he is discussing with sumantra his minister what is the reason i am not having children and am i not going to have children at all mm. that is when actually sumantra through his intuition realizes that dashartha is not going to have children in the normal way and he has to do a small yagna to get it and he tells the story of rishashringa mm. and he tells it as narrated by sanat kumara one of the sons of manasaputras of brahma mm. he narrates it to a few sages when the few sages come and ask him will dashartha ever have children so sanat kumara narrated and imagine sumantra who is just a minister is not even the royal preceptor it is he who reveals to dashartha don't worry you will definitely have children but this is the way you will have it and uh, in the ramkatha rasavahini swami also says that as always you know before taking any step we discussed how the king always goes to the spiritual roots sumantra has given this beautiful advice dashartha is happy but he doesn't execute it before consulting vashishta and vashishta you know this great spiritual being he goes into a trance and he sees every thing not only the past but also the future he just smiles and he advises dasharatha to follow that course of action where he invites rishishranga to the kingdom to the capital to do the putra kameshti yagna putra means son kameshti means fulfillment of that the fulfillment of the desire for a son is putra kameshti yagna is a sacrifice the fire sacrifice that is done so the putra kameshti yagna has to be conducted in ayodhya by rishishranga and everyone unanimously agrees on it that is sumantra dasharatha the queens and most importantly vashishta the preceptor of the kingdom and that is how they go to invite rishishranga to come and conduct this yagna so that the queens can bear sons right and uh, before we go into that yagna which eventually leads to the birth of lord rama our hero of our story and one little story which comes before that is the story of vishishinga himself how he comes to wed the daughter of dasharatha and moves to the angadesha we'll get to that story but in a small bit we'll leave you with a little song on the other side of the song we'll continue the story
प्यारे मन सीताराम सीताराम जय सीताराम भज प्यारे मन सीताराम रघुपति राघव राजाराम पतित पावन सीताराम Welcome back, dear listeners. We are in the middle of the Ramakatha Aswaini. We'll continue with that story. We were talking about Sage Rishishringa and how he came to perform the Putra Kamishti Yagna. But before that, there is a story which is related to the King Romapada and the Angadesha. Hmm. There's an event which happens which Romapada is supposed to have done something without his knowledge because of which his land is cursed with famine. So for years together, there is no rain in the land. And when he discusses with his ministers and the royal preceptors, he is told that there is one Rishishringa who is actually the son of a sage by name Vibhandaka. And hmm. Vibhandaka is the son of Kashyapa. The sage okay. Kashyapa who is I think one of the Saptarishis. So they say that here is this boy called Vishishringa and he is supposed to be living in a very secluded forest and he has not come across anything which is related to the city or the world. The only human being he knows is his father. And from his birth he has done nothing but doing yagnas and pujas and has assisting his father in following the Vedic rites. Mm. So they say that he has led such a pious life that if he merely steps on your land, he will bring rains. So mm. they say that you have to do something to bring him to this land. So they are all scared of what would be the response of Vibhandaka, the father who is for some purpose bringing him up in a protected environment. So then they discuss and the minister say that we will send a few you know, courtesan ladies, right? That's what you call them. Some of the dancers in the court. Uh-huh. They yes, are yes. sent there because he has never seen feminine form and they say we'll send these people there and he's never been in the company of other human beings so he'll get attracted to them and then they can bring him here so that's how these ladies are sent there and for days together they don't get to meet him because he doesn't step out of his hermitage at all Mm. then one day he comes out and he thinks that these are also hermits from some other land and so he invites them to the ashram and he's a very very innocent uh, child who's for the first time he's speaking to somebody else other than his father and then they say why don't you visit our ashram Mm. that's how they invite him and they take him on a boat, bring him to the Angadesha and the moment he steps, it starts raining. Then mm. Romapada himself comes, falls at his feet and says that this is what we have done to bring you here and asks him to officiate on a homa which is performed to appease the gods and then he offers his daughter Shanta in marriage to Rishishringa. What happened to the father? The father is not angry or there is at least, <laughs> there is no story in the Valmiki Ramayana about it. Mm. So that is how Shanta comes that to marry. That is how Shanta comes to marry Rishishringa and they continue to live in See, when people think whether this Ramayana really happened. Today, when we see the geography of India, there are so many places so perfectly matching. So many people
people have mapped the Ramayana and the regions of those days mm-hmm. to current day. And you know, Prem, I was reading how some people say that some of the facts don't match because okay. they say that this happened on the banks of this river, but now it is not matching and all that. It has also been so beautifully explained because over thousands of years, you know, rivers change their courses itself, the way they flow, the directions and everything. So if you make leeway for these kind of errors that can happen, anomalies where rivers change course and all that, it perfectly matches starting from Ayodhya. Recently, I had been to Hampi, which is supposed to be Kishkinda. So it's so beautiful. But that apart, you know, even if Ramayana was not a real historical thing, if they say it's just a mythological thing, even then, how beautiful and powerful are the metaphors. You know, because if we take even this story of Rishya Shringa, it shows that spiritual might is ultimate. If you have led a spiritual life, you have mastery even over the elements. So why do you want to spend your life seeking out the elements and worldly things which come as a free package once you get spiritual effulgence? But you know, man nowadays is such that if assured of the worldly might and this, he may seek spiritual effulgence because along with that these come free. But it's not like that. It shows that though Rishishranga had nothing in life, he had never had any contact with anybody, no wealth, nothing, a poor hermitage boy, yet he had an emperor bowing at his feet. He had a whole king kingdom rejoicing at his arrival. He had the weather patterns changing with his capacity. I mean, it is so magnificent. It only inspires us to concentrate our lives on spiritual pursuits. He reminded of a conversation which happens between a a spiritual master who during his discourse says that if you start becoming selfless, then you will become most successful. Then immediately after the discourse, one of the listeners comes to him and says, so then from tomorrow, if I start becoming selfless, then how much time it will take for me to become successful? (laughs) Beating that. Oh my God. What selflessness that is. Yes, all pseudo selflessness. That is what we'll have to give up in order to really become selfless and focus on the Godward path. Another point that struck me, Prem, is that, you know, now that Dasharatha has invited Rishishranga and uh, Shanta to the kingdom to perform this Putra Kamishti Agna, which we know at, at the end of it yields the king with his heart's desire, not for not one son, but four sons. It just shows again, you know, the way of working of karma, you know. See, when Romapada, mm-hmm. the king of Anga had no children and he was reaching that age after which it becomes tough to have children, out of compassion in his heart, that is what the entire Ramakatha is about, compassion and love. Compassion in his heart makes Dasharatha give up his own daughter because Dasharatha says that I have a chance to get more children. Youth is on my side. So he gifts his daughter to the king, Romapada. And how beautiful it is that this very same daughter indirectly has become responsible for Dasharatha himself getting his children because it is after all her husband and we know even in Puttaparthi during the Dasara Yagnam, the head priest always has his Ardhangini or wife right, accompanying right. him. It is a Vedic ritual is never complete without the other half, that right. is the wife. And so, Shanta is very very much a part of the Putra Kamishti Yagna as much as Rishyashranga is and it is so beautiful that this Shanta is now responsible in gifting children to Dasharatha, isn't it? Also imagine, you know, at every stage let's say uh, Romupada was without a child mm. and he never knew that he was going to be given this child Shanta in adoption by his friend Dasharatha. And there would have been a little bit of hesitation from the mother and father Dasharatha and Kaushalya when they gave the child. Mm. A little bit of deliberation, a little bit of confusion and uh, discussion which would have happened. Mm. And then this marriage happens and then 
the confusion which would have preceded Rishishringa coming to the kingdom. And this entire story is narrated by Sanat Kumara to the other sages, saying that these are the events which are going to happen. Every moment in our life, whenever we are faced with a big decision to make, we go through the motions of the confusion, of the trepidations, of the confusion, and without knowing that the plan is already made, we are actually living through it. But if we can just remind ourselves that you know somebody has already written the story and we just have to wait till it unfolds, we would be like sitting in a multiplex seeing a wonderful movie. And I think the only cue that we should follow is that very hand which has written this story of my life is the same hand that has written this beautiful rule book for life which says adhere to dharma. Right. So I think that is the cue for us as actors in the story that come what may, my action should stick to dharma because that is what will please the hand that is scripting my story and script the story in my favor. That hand has scripted the rule that when you do good and dharma, good and dharma is what will happen to you over lifetimes, not just in one lifetime. So when that is the rule, I think we should just therefore be dharmic because that is the way of life that is our nature to be dharmic. That is another inspiration that we derive. So then coming back to the story, now Rishishringa and Shanta are invited to Ayodhya and they are about to perform the Putra Kamishti Agnya. And you know, here Prem is where I feel that autobiographical account of Swami comes to the fore. Mm-hmm. You know, so beautifully Swami writes in the Ramkatha Rasavahini that uh, Rishishringa called the king and all the important people for the Yagna before the Yagna because he has to discuss details. Even as you read that, you are reminded of how Swami did the Grama Seva or the Dasra Yagnam because before the Yagnam he would call all the priests, all the important people in the trust who will have to handle different responsibilities. The students who will be handling different responsibilities, he would call all of them together. You know, he would cut across the lines and ranks. So there would be a student there, there will be a Veda Pandit there, there will be a member of the trust over there, different people. Across ranks, Swami would call everyone and you can almost picture the same thing happening. Rishishranga has called everyone and then you know, Rishishranga says that tomorrow at sharp 7 o'clock, Swami writes there, <laughs> at 7 in the morning the Yagna is going to begin. Now I was reminded of Anil Kumar sir announcing in the Kulwant Hall. Rape Poddana, Edu Kantalaku, at 7 o'clock in the Sai Kulwant Hall, you know, like that uh, it is told. And not only that, Rishishranga also decides the seating arrangement that is done. Beautiful reading that one short paragraph on the preparations for the Yagna reminds one so much of Swami and therefore it makes it even more of an autobiographical account. Right. And that is something which is a very common thing which we see with arrangements which Swami would do. That seating arrangement, it's a very interesting thing that at one side Swami is giving a discourse where he's saying that all are one, be alike to everyone. But on the other hand, on the physical plane, what respect has to be given to a certain person for his post, for his age, for his achievements has to be given. Mm. That was also a very important message that Swami gave and Swami would often refer to these descriptions in the epics saying that a king had a certain place to sit in. A king who visits the court of other king had a certain arrangement to sit which will An be offered. An army general who visits a king has a... Right. Difference. And one who comes as a messenger is given a certain type of welcome and a respect. The minister has a certain seating. The sage who visits the court has a particular seating for him and that Sabha Mariyata was very very important for Swami. I am reminded of an incident that you know Professor G. Venkatraman sir narrated. He was saying that this happened when he was the Vice Chancellor and uh, he said that it was one occasion when they were all seated at Swami's feet and Swami was silent Swami had not started a topic. In order to initiate a topic, Mm -hmm. one of the members of the trust just told Swami that, Swami, tomorrow Justice Eradi is arriving, the Justice of the Court, Chief Justice. So, he had a room in the ashram Mm -hmm. and that room, he had given it for any kind of use that the ashram required because he would be here only for a few days in a year. So, G.V. Sir was saying that Swami immediately said, Oh, you know what? That is the area where Prasadam is stored. Mm -hmm. You know, this Prasadam has to be cleared. Then they said, Yes, Swami, that Prasadam will be cleared. 
Swami said, no, but it is not enough. You know, when you keep storing prasadam there, here and there a few grains would have fallen. There will be ants. The whole house must be mopped with proper phenyl and other things. And Jeevi sir said that Swami inquired two, three times and ensured that the room was clean, the cobwebs were removed and everything was made spick and span when Justice Eradi arrived. And you know, sir was asking what was the need for Swami to go into all those details. If he had just said that the room better be spick and span, all would be done. But you know, Swami showed us the different lines of thinking that you have to do. Cleaning also means because you know, he said it never struck to me that prasadam is kept there, maybe ants would have come, there will be grain, sand, all that. And after all that, you know, Jeevi sir ended his uh, narrative by saying I don't know even to this day if Justice Eradi knows <laughs> the pain that the Lord took. The Lord took for His sake. Because Swami didn't do it for a show. He didn't do it to tell others, see see how I am and follow my example. He did it because it was His Swabhava. It is His nature to do such things. It is His nature to be perfect. And that is one thing we should, you know, imbibe from Swami because there are few instances where we are lucky to know how Swami did it. Right. I am reminded of what uh, our former Vice Chancellor S. V. Sir once shared, you know, when Mm. Swami had put two students of His for research in the university and later Swami wanted to send them to the United States for studying uh, hospital management okay. so that they can take care of the super specialty hospitals. So Swami had taken the decision that they have to be sent to the US. So in an interview, Swami calls these two boys. Swami calls the Vice Chancellor and the Register and looks at the Vice Chancellor and says, Vice Chancellor, will you permit me to take these two boys out of the university and send them to the US? And Girisa was very surprised. He said, Swami, they are your boys, you know, and they are ready to do whatever you tell them to do. Why should you ask me? Swami said, no, that is impropriety. You are the vice chancellor. You are in charge of these students. So I have to take your permission before I take them out of the university. You know, that was the perfection. You know, there was no need for Swami to do that because Swami was as much a mother and father for these boys as he was for the vice chancellor. Mm. He just needed to command. But Swami was every moment showing that protocol is also a form of dharma which you follow. Yes. So while all of us have to remain steeped in that truth that we are all embodiments of divinity, at the worldly physical level, we have to carry out all these in accordance to the stature, the nature of people. And I feel that once we are steeped in the truth, we'll automatically do this because doing this doesn't harm us in any way because we are steeped in the truth. Coming back to the story, so the next day as proclaimed at 7 a.m. sharp, (laughs) the yagna begins and the yagna is a grand success because at the end of the yagna, an ethereal being emerges from the fire. The yagna purusha emerges and brings rice pudding, you know, and offers rice pudding to the sage, that is Rishyashranga, who has performed the yagna. You know, there is a very beautiful description which Swami gives there. Swami says that even as that being arose from that, the yagna kunda, the flames, Rishyashranga is continuing to do the worship because he has not completed what was prescribed for the yagna. Hmm. So he doesn't even look up and, you know, stop his ritual procedure to ask what it is. It seems that being calls out to Dasharatha and then gives the the vessel containing the rice pudding to Dasharatha right. and uh, it is Rishyashranga who advises Dasharatha to split this into three portions and give to each of the queens consuming which the queens will definitely give birth to children. So you know as it is given to the three queens the three queens rush to their rooms and when they rush to their rooms that is when you know Swami brings out what happens with one of the queens that is Sumitra. Now Sumitra has received the pudding and this is a new situation because till now you know Kausalya and Sumitra have been thinking that anyway we are barren and dry. So if Kaike uh, gets a son that's what we discussed. But you 
you know now a new situation has come where all three are going to get children now swami says sumitra is thinking that see kausalya's son will definitely get respect and regard because he is the son the of the eldest senior prince. prince yes he is the eldest prince and kaikeyi's son will get respect and regard because that has been promised i mean dasharatha has said that i will make him the ruler so in between these what about my son what will happen to my son and she so lost in these thoughts and swami says she goes to have a bath because before partaking the prasadam she wants to have a bath she completes her bath her hair is wet so in those days swami says typically of swami's narrative yes you already guessed it right swami says they didn't have a handheld hair dryer so they would the samrani they call you know it's a kind of a fragrant smoke emitting uh, substance right. they use it in uh, shirdi baba aarti it leaves a lot of smoke i think it's frankincense i don't know it's a regular thing even in uh, households they always do that you know the lady of the house on a friday or on a tuesday on a holy day like that they take that samrani around the house so that it also acts like a disinfectant and a room freshener if you could exactly. call it that uh, i recently attended one of my classmates wedding he's mm-hmm. a christian so it was in a church right even in churches even in the church that. they were using that and that's the beauty you know it is something which is typically used in the altar in a puja room and the idea of doing that in the entire house is his to fill the house with such fragrant and with such vibes and vibrations yes because smells and sights are what trigger exactly. memories in your mind correct and that was what was used even to dry the hair right so she has kept her cup of pudding on the parapet, parapet wall and she is drying her hair and swami says that at that time an eagle comes and picks up this cup of pudding and flies away with it and sumitra is shell shocked she rushes back to the other two queens and the other two queens they had kept that paisam or the right. pudding the in the altar was actually vasishta says that you three queens go have your ritual bath and come back to rishishringa take his blessings and then consume the paisam so that is when they are supposed to come together again after they bath and go to rishishringa that's when sumitra comes running to the two queens and says that this is the uh, unfortunate thing which has happened with my share of the rice pudding and she is crying and telling that i will never be a mother now at that time you know again the love and camaraderie that exists between the three queens kaikeyi and kausalya console sumitra and they say you don't worry and both of them pour out half of their pudding into a new bowl and give it to her and tell that now you know just keep mum about this let's just go see krishishranga's blessings and consume this no one ever needs to know you know your uh, pudding had been taken away and all this it's just that all of us have our share of pudding and that is how sumitra again becomes happy you know she feels so grateful that i've got such loving sister queens along with me and she is reassured to some extent that of course such wonderful ladies their children also will be so loving i need not worry about my son and that is how she accepts the pudding from kausalya as well as kaikeyi and the three queens move out receive the blessings of rishishranga and consume this pudding as per the rites prescribed and that is the end of this episode i mean there is also this beautiful episode of what happened to the pudding that was carried by the eagle right and swami says that this eagle takes away this pudding in a golden bowl and gives it to anjana devi or anjani devi it drops it into the lap you know uh, further south that is where that right. i had visited you know where this hampi hampi is in karnataka in that area the kishkinda area uh, on top of a hill is one temple okay that is said to be the birthplace of lord hanuman okay you know the same hanuman who is sitting along with us here and listening to the ramakatha so the story goes that this eagle flying to south drops this pudding bowl into the lap of anjana devi the mother of hanuman who is doing her daily prayers seeking a child and when this drops in her hand she consumes this and she gives birth to hanuman and this we should say is ramkatha rasvani exclusive because this part of it is not told in any other ramayana at least i have not come across anywhere where this is revealed and this is also miscon 
misconception which Swami clears about this payasam. You know, the traditional thing is, it is said that Dashrata comes with the bowl of rice pudding. He gives equal measures to the three queens and then it seems he feels bad for Sumitra for the same reason for which Sumitra was feeling bad for herself. Hmm. And out of love for her, he comes back and gives her extra payasam. Oh, okay. <laughs> but Swami says, no, no, nothing like that. Dashrata was a man of righteousness. He had no favoritism between the three queens. He gives them equal measure. Oh, that uh, Dashrata giving is how it recorded in other Ramayana, is it? Right. That he comes back and gives little more to Sumitra. And Prem, this eagle carrying it to Anjana Devi, I don't know if it's in the Ramkatara Swaini. Right, but it's not narrated. in Ramkatara Swaini, but Swami has narrated it during other discourses when he spoke about the about Ramayana. The Ramayana yeah. right. So, that is what gives birth to Hanuman. And you know, again, an interesting point here, Prem, because I felt when they say that a Lord does not exist without his devotee. A devotee does not exist without the Lord. You know, the Lord and the devotee have no meaning without the other. Because who makes the Lord a Lord? It's the devotee. And who makes the devotee a devotee? It's the Lord. One without the other has no meaning, just as light has no meaning without darkness and darkness has no meaning without light. So I felt it is so beautiful that just even as the Lord is getting ready to descend, the devotee is also getting ready to descend. It is so beautiful. The Lord and the devotee come as one. And this is again another beautiful message of Advaita that all are one actually. It is only for the sake of joy or for the sake of the play that that one divides itself into mother and child, into the Lord and the devotee, into different things. Because after all, it was the same paisam. The same paisam or the same pudding from which the Lord also came, from which even the devotee came. I thought this was another interesting, very nice point. Right. And so the three queens have consumed this new rearrangement of the rice pudding where both of them share a part of their share with Sumitra. And very shortly, all three of them conceive. And the story goes that the first one to give birth to a child is Kaushalya, who gives birth to Lord Rama. And the very next day, Bharata is born to Kaikeyi. And on the third day, Sumitra gives birth to not one, but two children, Lakshmana and Shatrugna. Yes, as of that time, they are only children without names, because we will come to the naming ceremony later on. But we know the future that he is called Rama. It is such a beautiful occasion, because they say the beauty of baby Rama was indescribable. So bonny, so sweet, never crying, always smiling, and filling anyone who looked with great, great, great joy. And we will come to how he got the name Rama. But right now, Prem, I think it is time to celebrate the birth of the Lord in our midst, the birth of the Lord in our heart. And let us enjoy this with our dear Bhakt, Lord Hanuman, who is seated along with us in the satsang. Let us celebrate the birth of Lord Rama.
बीच में मैया पीछे बंधु लखन रे हो के आत्मा राम आयो राम आयो बन में आनंद छायो You just heard an episode of our radio program Afternoon Satsang. This was a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12:30 p.m. Indian Standard Time on Thursdays only on Asia Stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion was on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 10th April 2014. Dear listeners, we hope you like this program. As always, send us your feedback to listener at radiosai.org. Thank you and loving Sai Ram from Prashant Nilayam.